Hello, and welcome to Camp Scary and Squee, a podcast that tests my theory that every horror movie exists on a scale of divine camp to pure terror. I'm your host, Damien O'Mara, and my guest today describes his perfect horror film as having a psychological element, characters you care about, a memorable villain, and even if it might feel a little bit cheap, a jump scare is essential. Welcome, Lincoln Law. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Very well. Uh, my my all-important icebreaker welcome question, what has been haunting you this week? Uh, haunting me this week right now is my housework. I have the messiest house right now, despite being stuck indoors 24-7. I have somehow not been able to keep on top of this mess. Uh, my biggest fear right now is actually the dusting part of it. I have a terrible dust allergy. I'm going to end up with a headache this afternoon, but I've got to get through it at some point. Well, I hope that after this, you have some some good time to invest in housework. Oh, look, we'll see. We'll see. I might just end up just sleeping on the couch instead. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I want to give you the honours because uh, it's a film you've never seen until this particular recording. But what are we watching? Or what are we talking about today? Uh, we're talking about the movie Scream from 1996. Yes. So, a few stats on this. As you said, 1996, written by Kevin Williamson, who people would probably know from I Know What You Did Last Summer, Dawson's Creek, and The Vampire Diaries. Uh, but more importantly, it's directed by Wes Craven, who I think a lot of us think of as an auteur of horror. He's, he's famous for the, the Hills Have Eyes and Nightmare on Elm Street, some of those really big hitting films, particularly from the 70s and 80s, that- Uh, lots of people think of as classics and it stars and it's quite a list uh so david arquette nev campbell courtney cox matthew lillard rose mcgowan skeet ulrich jamie kennedy who did not get in the list of top billing but is a lead character so i added him in um and of course drew barrymore uh before we like launch into it the film grossed 173 million on a 15 million dollar budget which is like massive that's insane like it's a th- it's more insane. than a thousand percent in terms of its like profit margin and i'm glad you did the math <laughs> <laughs> and the imdb description describes this as a year after the murder of her mother a teenage girl is terrorized by a new killer who targets the girl and her friends by using horror films as a part of a deadly game and for anyone who's not seen Scream before, a spoiler warning, we are about to talk about it and we are going to talk about all of the spoilers. So stop, go watch the movie <laughs> if you haven't seen it. I would say, you know, if you haven't seen it, you know, sarcastically, except you hadn't seen this. <laughs> I had not seen it. I had never seen this movie before. It was funny. I was watching it. And I had this moment where I was like, maybe I have seen it. And then I realized that I've just seen Scary Movie, which is obviously what this is based on. So. Yes. Uh, well, like going into this, did you have any expectations? Did you know anything about Scream? Uh, I knew the basic gist being that it was like uh, the killer was a little bit horror movie obsessed and wanted to go through the tropes, basically. I knew that much. Um, I knew it was going to be very 90s. Um, there is something unmistakably 90s about that cast and about the costumes and the characters and just everything about it just screams 90s um and i knew like the killer was that ghost-faced uh hooded figure that was about it yeah i think there was like there's little bits and pieces that i've seen like 
clips in like those listicle videos where it's like, you know, top 10 scariest things or whatever. But aside from that, like I'd not really knew, no, uh, I'll get my words. I didn't really know a lot about the movie as a whole beyond just the basic gist of it, really. So this is like, this is like a, a proper, we're getting your first thoughts on it. I know you're getting my, my first opinion on a something that, I would definitely say would be considered a classic of some description. I yeah, mean, well, it, I'm, it's certainly iconic. Um, yeah, and if we if we launch into talking it talking through the plot, in my like research before we had a chat about this, one of the things that kept coming up at the, is that this is they argue like the the most iconic opening scene of a horror movie, um, and we kind of open on Drew Barrymore as Casey Becker kind of alone in her home, like clearly she's meant to be a teenager. I don't know how old she looks, <laughs> 25 at this point. Um, but she's sort of alone at home and getting ready to to watch a scary movie and the phone rings. Yeah. It's I- such a, like like you said, it's such a, on like the, the whole phone ringing thing and it's like you pick it up and there's a voice on the end of the line is something that's just so classically horror. And, like, obviously this movie didn't start it. It's obviously been around for ages, but it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know, there was something straight off the bat that watching it, like, I knew this was a movie that's, like, a little bit aware of itself and obviously going through movie tropes and stuff like that, you're going to get that. But it was still one of those things where when it opened, I was like, oh, hang on, this might actually be a little bit scary at times. I thought this was going to be, like, a little bit of a, aha, it's not that scary sort of thing. But it, there were actually moments where I was like, oh, no, that's actually pretty pretty dreadful. Like well, it, like you said. Yeah, it, it gives us this kind of this great, in, in that first phone call, it almost, it's that thing you go into a horror movie expecting to be scared. So the first thing that they have to do is to fake out so that you relax. Yeah. And it's kind of the first thing they do with this is there's the phone call and it's like, oh, sorry, wrong number, hangs up, calls back, and it builds that cynicism and that, and that kind of sinister, maybe this guy isn't innocently yeah. calling the wrong number. It builds that up pretty quickly, but also lets you kind of go on that journey and, and realize it with her. Exactly. Uh, I mean, admittedly, you know, in, in the year of our Lord 2020, um, answering the phone is just anxiety inducing at the best of times. So <laughs> the simple fact that she just kept answering the phone was just, Oh yeah. Probably <laughs> like the killer making some really like at the start, it was just a little bit uncomfortable. Cause it's like, he sounds like, he's yeah, he's this creepy. awkward guy being a bit creepy. Yeah. Being creepy, being sleazy, being a bit gross. And it's like, you know, she keeps hanging out. She's like, no, goodbye. And, and then obviously it starts to evolve and just, I don't know, the whole, the way it, like it builds up to it, but the way it suddenly flips when he's like, oh, I can't remember the exact line, but it's something well, like you hang up on me and I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's just, so we kind of, she's making popcorn and she, yeah. she answers the phone again. And I think she thinks it's one of her friends and he's like, what's that sound? I'm making popcorn. I'm going to watch a scary movie. And he goes, you like scary movies. And it's this, yeah. like, that line, I hear that in pop culture references all the time. And it kind of, yeah. it's not the sinister line yet, but it's it no. foreshadows how sinister it's going to get. And for me, the, the turning point in this opening scene is when he 
he asks her name for like the third or fourth time. And she says, why do you want to know my name? And he goes, well, I want to know who I'm looking at. And you have that, like, it's that dolly zoom where like the world kind of closes in on her a bit and she realizes, oh my God, something's not quite right. Also doesn't call the police. Like, Hangs yeah, up the phone like- <laughs> and then answers it again. Hang- it's just, just like just call. <laughs> you you, you, call you can make scene, like well, you can make your line busy so he can't call you, and you could dial. <laughs> but- yeah, exactly. No, it, but we need to make the movie happen. That- <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, th- that's such a like the idea of being watched is just something so horrifying to me, and uh, like. Like he says, like you said, when he says, you know, I want to know who I'm talking, uh, I want to know who I'm looking at. It's like, we've all had that moment where it's like we've leaned out the window and been like, is there someone out there? And the the, the fear of being watched, yeah, I I don't like that. (laughs) Well, it's also, it's a sign of a good horror film that like, you know, you just had that shudder just then. It's like, it gives you that, it gives you that moment. And so Casey or Drew Barrymore as Casey is then, turning on all her outside lights. These people live in beautiful houses Uh, (laughs) to her pool and like looking, there's nothing out there. Um, But then he wants to play a game. And when she turns, uh, he gets her to turn the light back on and her boyfriend, Steve, Oh, it's after she said, my boyfriend's a big football player and he's going to beat you up. And yeah, I honestly think, the acting from Drew Barrymore is amazing because like when you think about it, she's probably being fed those lines by someone off stage, just reading them yeah. out with no emotion. Yeah. And she's like really acting her heart. <laughs> like she yeah. looks properly scared. Uh, and she turns the light on and Steve's tied to a chair. Oh. <laughs> and then she has to turn the light off again. <laughs> he starts asking her questions. Um, she gets the first one right. It's Michael Myers from um, yeah, Halloween. Yeah. And then the second one, it's, is it Friday the 13th, the second question? Friday the 13th, yeah. And she gets it wrong because she says it's Jason, but it's Jason's mother. Yeah. And so Steve has to die. And she turns <laughs> on the light and his guts are all out. And <gasps> <laughs> poor Steve dies. Um, uh, and she starts screaming and running. Uh, do they cut the phone line at that point? Something happens. She can't call the police. No. no um, oh, what does she do? It happens very quickly, whatever it, it is. It, it, it happens very quickly. I Like that whole scene, like you said, her acting is incredible. It's one of those things with horror movies I find is sometimes acting can be a little bit, eh. like it, it's hard to sell horror. Like mm. anyone can scream, but screaming with conviction is its own special um, kettle of fish. But with the, like, that whole scene is just so intense and so well acted. And I'm trying to remember, does, no, the phone line doesn't get cut because. Um, but he gets in the house, I think. He gets in the house. I, like something happens because he does get in the house at some point. Yeah. Anyway. He throws the, the chair through the window. Uh, possibly. <laughs> All this that she ends up outside, her parents come home. He's kind of slashed her throat but not killed her. Mm, mm. And she's trying to scream for them but she can't make the noise. That was heartbreaking. Yeah. She's like that. That was. Um, and you're like, oh. That was when I was like, yeah, that was when I was sold on it. That was when I was like, okay, no, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. Because the idea of, like, everyone's had that nightmare where you can't scream or you can't make a noise or it's like, you you know, you're trying to run but your legs are like jelly. That's just so. Ugh, got me right in the feelings. Yeah. And normal, like 
like I said, horror movies, you know, I need to have characters I feel I care about. And that was one of those moments where I was like, I felt so much sympathy for her. But so we sort of see this final death, like he gets her, mm. the parents are panicking. I think they find her is she hanging? I yeah, I've hanging. seen this like fifty plus times and it just so much happens in it that I always just go, yeah. what happens then? Um, and it kind of, so this is something I thought would be quite fun to talk about because there's a few things that I want to talk, I want to cover, but one of them is this very, this was set up by Alfred Hitchcock in Psycho when Janet Lee, um, who happens to be Jamie Lee Curtis's mother, who Jamie Lee Curtis is a incredible horror, uh, uh, actor and, heavily referenced in this movie, mm-hmm. um, but killing off the, like, most famous person in the opening. And they've kind of done it here. Like, yeah. we recognise a lot of those names in that list, but when you think of 1996, actually, Drew Barrymore's kind of the headliner. You know, she was the child yeah. star yeah, who, absolutely. who had been around for a long time and, you know, would have, and she's like, they really use her to sell it. She's on the movie poster. She's, mm. you know, they're like, Drew Barrymore is in this film. You should come see it. Yeah. And they kill her off within like the first 10 minutes. But- Which was so upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> like I, when it started, I was like, oh, Drew Barrymore's in this. And then it's like five minutes later. It's like, oh, well, okay, cool. But not anymore. It's a great look. It's a, it's a great PR technique. It's but, a great opening. Yeah, and it's a great, like you said, a great PR technique to you know have the headliner. But it's also there. this great thing for you know an actor that is established to go come in. It's probably a couple of days' work for you, and you get to give this kind of like all-out go nuts performance, and then you're done. And we're probably going to pay you more than everyone else on this set who has to work <laughs> for weeks. Easiest uh, paycheck. But it's this great thing because there. I always feel like there's two schools of thought in an opening horror, opening of a horror. There's the one that kind of tells you everything you need to know about the big bad right up, and then there's the one mm-hmm. that kind of builds your characters and you you come to like find the big bad, you know, yeah. somewhere around the end of the first act. Mm. And this one is very much of that very traditional approach of like, here's the big bad. Yeah. We all know what it is, and that's kind of the inciting incident is immediate, and we all know what's going on, and let's move forward. Yeah, absolutely. And he, the like having that makes gives the whole film this like overshadowing feeling of dread and menace, and like I don't know. Th- there's there's something. I don't know where I'm going. Sorry, that was a tangent. You can you can strike that because my brain stopped at <laughs> tangent midway. <laughs> so good. Uh, well, look, we've just spent so much time on the opening because it is such a great <laughs> opening. Um, what we get next is Sydney Prescott, who is our protagonist for this, in her room, and we actually get a bit of a jump scare. Like it's not a it's not a heavy jump scare, but there's no, a little bit of a jump scare when her yeah. her boyfriend Billy. Uh, Billy Loomis, which um, Loomis is the surname of a character in uh, Halloween, but it's also the surname of one of the actors in Halloween separate, oh, really? separately. I was like, I wonder if this is a deep cut. <laughs> yeah. Um, How many layers are there to this? So many. <laughs> uh, but Billy comes in the window and in what I can only assume is written dialogue that is written as like a bit of a a kind of commentary on how there's shit dialogue in horror mm. films. He talks about how they 
their relationship started with an R rating and it was on its way to, or was it like, it was something like that. Their relationship started with this kind of rating. It was on its way to NC-17 and now it's just (laughs) PG-13. And I was like, okay. And then he asked for a bit of over the, over the clothes action. Uh, Yeah. I saw that bit and I was like, that's a really weirdly specific line. And I think that was, spoiler, the moment I sat there and I was like, I feel like he might be important and that line might be important to the plot, I feel, my gut says. (laughs) Well, the other thing I kind of wanted to cover, and we can probably get to it, so they have that little interaction and the next morning everyone finds out that uh, Casey and Steve were murdered Mm -hmm. and- they're at school. The press descends. Courtney Cox arrives, arrives as Gail Weathers, Ooh, the reporter. <laughs> I'm just like, what a name. Um, and there's this great kind of establishing. Uh, sorry. Sorry. I didn't pick that up. Gail Weathers. Jesus Christ. I hate <laughs> Get out. Uh, Get out. Gail Weathers. Okay. I'm back. <laughs> um, but there's this little confrontation to help us establish who Sydney is. And we find out that yep. her mother died, that Sydney was a witness in the, in the trial, um, that convicted a man named Cotton. Um, and they have a bit of a confrontation because it turns out that Gail Weathers has, has been reporting that Sydney either misremembered or lied and, and that she, mm. um, you know, this man is innocent and, you know, it's all clearly very raw. There's a lot of bad blood there. Um, yeah. But we do then get to meet the friendship group. And this is the second thing that I wanted to talk about because this is such a referential film. Yeah. Uh, looking at the kind of the, how it engages the rules of a horror film and mm. that these this group of friends kind of encompass the traditional American uh, group of friends that you find in a horror film. and that they're killed in the in the order that you're meant to. Well, actually, I should say some of the rules are broken, but that's a spoiler. Uh, so, <laughs> so we meet Sydney, who has been established as the virginal character um, yep. because Billy talks about how she's not not uh, taking their relationship to where he wants yep. it. Tatum Riley, Rose McGowan, and I use this word only for the uh, discussion of it in the purposes of this is the slutty character. Yeah. So she's always, like, always blonde, always promiscuous. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stu, who's played by Matthew Lillard, who is a deep crush of mine from when I was a teenager. My goodness. <laughs> is the fool. And then we have Billy, who Skeet Ulrich is the athlete. And finally, Randy meets Jamie Kennedy. And I think this is an interesting take on that that rule of the academic, but he's kind yeah. of the academic of horror, which yeah. kind of works for this this particular bent of the film. Mm-hmm. So we yeah. get this we get this set up, and you know the the general rule is that uh, you have the slutty one die first, then you have the mm-hmm. fool. Oh no, slutty one! Yeah, then the fool, then the athlete, then the academic. Finally, the virgin can die, but doesn't have to. Kind of thing. That's the, the yeah, traditional rule. Yeah. And we find that this kind of follows that that uh, logic while we do find out that it also breaks some of those rules. Um, I was going to say that as someone who, like we said at the start, I'm not the most versed in t- 
too many horror films. It's been a very new thing for me, really. But it's like <clears throat> not understanding those, like not understanding those roles, but knowing those roles are there was interesting to sort of sit there and watch as they unfolded because like you ascribing those roles to those characters, I didn't quite piece together that those were their roles watching it through. Now rewatching it, it's some sort of like, oh, duh, that's obvious. But <laughs> it's well, like it's um, a, it's an interesting question about how these mythologies kind of form. Like, there is it this kind of culture industry. Like, where did it start that these? Yeah. Um, this would get very boring for listeners, but there's a thing called the Hayes Code. Um, it was in Hollywood in the late twenties, early thirties, right through to the sixties, which put a bunch of rules on what could be shown on television all based around kind of religious m- morality mm-hmm. and horror was often the thing that got that found ways to break the rules. Um, and, or as the code was becoming less and less enforced because, uh, you know, it didn't align with society. Mm-hmm. Um, horror would introduce certain kinds of roles into film, but would, need to there'd need to be a consequence and that's why the promiscuous character the promiscuous woman is mm. always murdered first and you know it was this oh. thing of to in order to get it past the the senses yeah um to allow this to be made uh, under the Hays code they would ha- you know they, they'd have to be a a consequence for being something that they didn't want to promote in society there you go. Um, so it's, sorry. <laughs> it's interesting how that. No, that's so interesting how that came about. Yeah, um, you, there's a lot of look. If if you're really keen on reading academically about <laughs> how things are represented in film and film as its like influence on culture, Hayes Code is a good place to like start because you'll start to see a lot of things um, that you might go, oh, that's just how films work, and you go, oh my god, that's being hev- like th- this is a response to restriction yeah. in so many ways you see it a That's lot with, with queer representation in film as well um but i digress that could- <laughs> <laughs> this could take us on a very different journey um this scene is really just about establishing who everyone is and yeah and i i'm i guess i'm interested to know you know i guess trying to think of the, the right way to put it. Yeah. Do you immediately feel a connection to these characters? Uh, I would say, like, obviously the main character being Sid, it, like, I'm most drawn to her. She's the most um, sympathetic character, like losing her mother, uh, like all that. Sort of, the boyfriend being, like, I'm trying to think, whatever the opposite of slut-shaming is, being, like, Crude shaming? I don't know. Like yeah. he's he's being a, like uncomfortably pushy. Like she's she's presented as this very vulnerable, but still strong character, who's surrounded by all this crap, for want of a better word. Um, the other characters obviously meeting those criteria that you mentioned. Um, I don't know. The I found it hard to connect with probably. Um, Billy and Stu the most, but I don't know if that's because I am just automatically averse to the more um, 
kind of those masculine roles. Alpha, yeah. masculine. So it, like, it, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, that's all my bullies in high school. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm naturally just like pushed away from them. I'm like, oh, me and Rose McGowan can hang out. We yeah. can, you know, you know, talk about boys for a bit. Um, there, There is a thing like, I, I say this as a complete nerd, like lots of yeah. nerds love horror. And is it that you get to see the people that would be your tormentors get tormented? I mean, is it that? Let, let's unpack that. No, um, I don't know. Yeah, just the like, like I never had the like the the more male side of things. I never had those sort of friends in high school. My friends were always the Sids and um, like the girls. <laughs> so it's like I don't know whether it's just I'm just naturally more drawn to them because that was my own personal experience, or if that's what the movie's trying to get me to do. Like, am I supposed to not like the the dudes as much? Like, is that something that it's aware it's trying to do? Or is it, is it my own personal bias? Who knows? We need a psychologist to unpack that. <laughs> Next time. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> That's for the psychology podcast. So we've, so we've established this story. We know what's going on with Sydney and we find out that while the anniversary of her mother's death is coming up, her father is leaving town for a conference mm. um so if you're yep. staying at the hilton she knows she knows staying to call the hilton. hilton um and on her first night alone she gets a call and is attacked by ghostface and it's all happens very quickly and the yeah. she smarter than casey calls the police straight away thank god good job <laughs> smart <Sid>. girl <laughs> very smart um and we end up in the police station uh, they, I think they arrest Billy very quickly as a yes. suspect. Um, and she's quite concerned. We, we, we meet, um, Deputy Dwight Dewey Riley played by David Arquette, who is Tatum's brother. Yes. And there's like this, uh, I guess a bit of working out how like the, the logistics of the killer and how he's working and poss- possibly one of my favorite things because what we would call mobile phone technology is yeah. very new. They don't say cell phones. They call it a cellular. A cellular. And it, they, I, it, they say the word cellular a lot and in some very high pressure situations. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's one of those things where I was like, oh, that's right. This was the nineties. Everything is going to sound weird. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> They were like, oh, that's this new technology. We have to work it in there. What would young people call this new technology? Yeah. They'd call it a cellular. Oh, a right. cellular, obviously. Ah, youth. Um, we, it develops, we develop some mistrust of, of Billy and yep. we, we get uh, Sydney staying at Tatum's house with Deputy. Yep. Oh, actually, I missed the most important part. They try and sneak out the back and she punches Gail that's Weathers right. in the face. That's right. Ah, I loved that moment. That was great. Cool. It was like. It was like it was one of those like pause and clap moments because it was just like again I don't know if there's something that films have trained me to dislike journalists I don't know if this is just because I grew up on Harry Potter and everyone hates Rita Skeeter but um, having that moment was just like a little stand up and clap for all those characters who have to deal with an annoying journalist in their face maybe. Maybe like making journalists annoying has been like part of this kind of cultural shift because like you know journalists do important work. Yeah, the yeah, world absolutely. is is uh has had this shift that journalism is now this kind of 
evil. Um, yeah. Maybe it's been, I mean, this isn't that old, so. I mean, you have <laughs> to wonder if, because um, obviously horror and, like, this is going to get slightly into theory territory. Horror and, like, crime stories are obviously quite, you know, they're, yeah. they're cousins, basically. And obviously in crime stories, it was always the police who were bumbling. And um, whereas in horror, the police are meant to be, like, the authority. Like, they're the oh, they safety still bumble. Beacon. They still bumble. I mean, Dewey's a bit of a bumbly guy. But um, it's like, I, I wonder if, like, journalists being, like, I don't know, the, the finder of truths, and I say that with bunny ears, um, for those not benefiting from the video. Um, the I wonder if, like, they're lumped in there with with the police as far as, like, okay, they might be a little bit bumbling, they might be annoying, they might even be a bit of a blocker mm. in the story. Um, but, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I have to wonder how much of that is tied to, you know, again, horror and crime being sort of twins. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, after this, we've established that, that Sid is, you know, a target for Ghostface. And, and I guess this is the thing that I, I think takes an interesting turn for me in kind of how it becomes immediately, it becomes a phenomenon. So Mm -hmm. she's, it's, it's reported what's happened to her. She's staying at Tatum's house. The killer calls. And it's really just to show that she can't escape him. But the next day at school, um, we then see how quickly and how cruel yeah. the student the student group is in that Oh yeah. Everyone's wearing ghost face masks. Um those two awful girls in the girls' toilets. Oh, those okay, I like watching that bit. I had this moment where I was like, they're, I don't know. I couldn't tell whether the acting was really bad or really good. <laughs> like, it's like, are they being intentionally like, oh my God, da, 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 like, I don't know what they were saying. Um, or are they like, I don't know, just that whole section having to listen to what they were saying. And um, I don't know where I was going with that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> There's going to be a few tangents that I go off on and then my brain just stops. I'm so sorry. My coffee is still kicking it. Oh, it's all good. Um, for anyone playing at home, we're recording this at eight in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> good morning. Happy Saturday. <laughs> uh, well, it's not like we went out and got drunk last night, so. Well, this is true. We don't have that option currently. We can stay in and get drunk. I mean, we can. <laughs> we don't encourage it, but we can. <laughs> uh, the There's this weird scene. I. I still don't get this entirely. So then the principal's confronting these two, you know, nameless high school students yeah. who wore a mask and he's got these scissors and every he's yeah. brandishing the scissors like a knife and every time he brandishes yeah. them, there's like a tring kind of sound. Like, yeah. And then when he cuts it, it's like yeah. it's almost like a sword blade going through something. Yeah. And like clearly very intentional. And I was like, yeah. at one point I was like, were they trying to make us think the principal was the killer? Yeah. like I didn't get that, but, but was that what they were I trying? I don't know what they were trying to do. I Like, whether... I think um, this film did a good job of... Because, like I said at the start, I had my theory of who I thought the killer was going to be. And they did a good job throwing me off it, I think. 
despite the fact that I sat there feeling like, no, I think I've seen a scene where it's revealed somewhere. And it's like, but I'm not a hundred percent. Like it was one of those things where it's like, I feel like I've seen something before to do with this, but I don't know if it's that exactly. And it did a good job throwing me off. Like, even if it was just that, and then having the scene a little bit later where he's got the ghost face mask on and he's like scaring himself in the mirror. Yeah. Um, Interestingly, it's almost like Billy being sort of suspected so early is mm. intended to make us go, well, that's a red herring. Yeah. That, I, I feel like that might have been what they were going for. It's like, let's start, because like, it's a probably pretty common trope is like introduce the killer, make it really obvious, and then just- And let the cynicism of the, of the audience like, yeah. uh, just do that work for you. And yeah. Then and you can like, redirect oh, no, them really early. easily. I yeah. shouldn't know that. Yeah. I shouldn't have this figured out yet. Um, we do get some of Dewey and Gail flirting um, mm-hmm. and, you know, spoilers for the real world, uh, David Arquette <laughs> and Courtney Cox get married at, at a later point. Oh, twist. <laughs> I, I have no idea if this is where they met or if they'd met before then. I didn't do any research on that, but I just thought it was a fun fact. <laughs> that is a fun fact. I actually um, didn't even piece that together. But again, that's my non-encyclopedic knowledge. <laughs> Uh, but school's out. The um, the principal scares himself with the ghost marks when he walks back <laughs> with the mirror. Uh, and then we get a, quite a nice little, um, uh, a, quite a nice little, like, I guess, jump scare in that he's, he feels like he's being watched and he's yeah. searching for this thing. Yeah. And when he finally relaxes, the door... Yeah closes and behind the door was Ghostface all along. Yeah. Uh, and that was a good jump. That was a good jump scare. Like this it's is like, this is a good scary movie. For all of yeah. its like meta where like commenting on scary movies and how they have all these mm. rules. Like mm. they they use them to good effect. It's absolutely. I find one of the hardest things with like scary movies is sometimes they can come across as like they're not scary because they're almost hokey. Um uh, and obviously you, the whole premise of this podcast is the idea that some are just very camp and some are scary and there's a spectrum in between. But like, um, I don't know. They, they were, I don't know whether this was like my predisposition, but I was expecting it to end up more campy and it ended up just sitting far more in the scary zone than I thought it would be. And like, like I said, that jump scare was just like Italian finger kiss. Perfect. Oh, I say chef kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Means the same thing. Means uh, the same thing. Um, well, it, it's interesting. Uh, often for me, one of the things, because, you know, camp can mean a lot of things. Like mm. the Scooby-Doo movie is technically horror on the camp end. Um, yeah. But for me, one of the things that takes you out of pure terror and into something more campy is when the gore ramps up. Like the gorier yeah. it gets, the more it's about fake blood. Yeah. Often the less scary it becomes because yeah it it's a very hitchcockian thing in that like the suspense is actually the thing that's scary and when it's when all the gore's on the screen there's no more yeah. suspense to to see yeah and, i am oh, sorry you no no i was just gonna say and that like this movie gets a has a good balance with that it, it i think it does too much gore can like it's part of the reason why i don't love those like uh torture porn Oh, like, like and everyone's just like dying left, right, and center. Yeah. Um, 
but it's it, on the other end it's why i recently our mutual friend lisa got me onto hannibal and part of the reason i love that show so much but i, I can only watch it like one or two episodes at a time is because they specifically like you've got a lot of gore on screen but the like the the cannibalism side of things which is the thing that really irks me like it makes me very uncomfortable it's all presented so um like it's off screen but when the presentation's done of like the food he's made it's so beautifully done and it makes you so uncomfortable because you're like oh that's a person there on that plate have you watched binging with babish no so this I've is watched, sorry i lie i've watched bits bits and pieces not a lot uh, he does a Hannibal episode where I think he uses pork as the human, but he like wraps the yeah. pork around. I think it's like a cow femur or something to like oh. <laughs> to create oh. that sense of a human leg. Um, I would die. <laughs> uh, where were we? So where were we? That's a great question. Dewey and Gala were flirting. School's out. Ghostface kills the principal. They're in the video store, and this is where we establish Randy as kind of the academic of yeah. horror. He gets yeah. very emotional about the formulas. And again, like it's the, the kind of throwing us off from who the killer is. Cause it feels like Randy's so like caught up in it and he's like giving himself yeah. away as this, this murderer. And he, he accuses Billy and Billy is there and gets up in his face. And like, I should say, very quickly after that ends up at Randy's house for a party, despite Randy saying that Billy's the murderer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to just stop. Yeah. Look, up. the movie okay. needed to happen. Um, the movie needed to happen. Yeah. We have a plot. I, <laughs> sorry, this is me just saying things that I love about this at you, but then <laughs> very soon after that, while they're shopping before the horror, they go to Randy's house to watch horror movies. Um, Rose McGowan as Tatum has, the best line. So you have a few intimacy issues as a result of your mother's in- untimely death. <laughs> what a line. Just what beautiful. A line. <laughs> Beautifully. Look, look, she delivered it with conviction. That's all that matters. Uh, and then we get to the party. And so I'd love to know your thoughts on this very American kind of house, house party yeah. situation at Randy's house. The American house party side of things. It's like, I always felt like I must have been missing out on something as a teenager because every teen movie has one of these or several of these. And I never got to go to any of them. And I was like, but I'm just not invited or do these just not happen here? And it turns out they don't happen here. They don't Um, happen like this. Like there are house parties in Australia, but they are not anything like. No. I I think our version, I talked about this on the previous episode with my friend Dave and Dave is, is, you know, you and I—you're younger than me by quite a bit. Yeah. I'm probably halfway between you and Dave. And Dave and I were both a- able to talk about this idea of sleepovers with friends and horror movies being a part of that. Yeah. But yeah. we didn't relate to them in this kind of. There's a big party, and a bunch of the people at the party are just watching a movie. Yeah, like like it's like there's several parties happening all over yeah, the place. That never happened. It rem- no, that never. It reminded me a little bit of like house parties that are like me and my housemates have sometimes had where you end up like, you know, at 1230 in the morning, you know, some people have gone to bed, some people are still at the back, but there's a bunch of you like in one of the bedrooms sitting on the bed talking about boys. Mm. Um, It's a little bit like that, but usually they don't start off like that. Usually everyone's in one place, usually with a Bunnings fire pit. 
yes. some description. Yes, well, and a glass I, table. I grew up in in regional Australia, so I um, it was a barrel. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we had one. His name was Henry. Oh. <laughs> um, the the whole point of this is to get everyone to the same place because we're trying to like yeah, we're trying to get to the end of the movie. Um, they're watching Halloween. Someone refers to Jamie Lee Curtis's tits as lungs. Look at that set of lungs. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> do, do they do they think women's lungs go into their boobs? Is into their breasts? Is that where the the lungs are? That's I why mean- they heave when they're breathing. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> um. But we we have a few things happen. So we get our first kind of official death of the the group of friends. Um, mm. uh, Tatum is sent by her boyfriend, Matthew Lillard, to the full. Oh, my God. Yep. I love Matthew Lillard. Oh, he, he's great. You, should, he you was... should Google him now. He is still so sexy. Is he, is he aged well? Like a, He's got like that goofy... So like, because uh, he was he was Shaggy, and yeah, I was about to say, movie. I mentioned Scooby yeah. before. It's he's like, in the Scooby Doo movie. That's where I know him from. And so him in this, I was like, he's basically playing like a grim, dark Shaggy. Yeah, basically. absolutely. Because he's just a very over the top, like especially towards the end. But obviously, there's other stuff happening towards the end. But it's like he was just playing a very over the top Shaggy. Yeah, I feel. Um, but he sends Tatum out to to get him some beers. Um, yeah, and. I really like this scene for a few reasons. So mm-hmm. she sees Ghostface. She thinks it's a joke. She thinks it's Randy. Yeah. Um, and when she realizes that it's not and she's trying to escape, the first thing she does is she really fights back and she piffs beers at him and like clearly ah. hurts him. And so often with those characters, people like don't let them like try and survive like they they yeah. treat them as these very passive you know they go through yeah. life just getting whatever they want so of course they die passively and i liked that she had like a real fight in her and yeah. we got to see that i will say like in general this film did a good job of giving the victims like they fought for it it's like as, as long as it wasn't like a massive surprise it's like they fought for it and like having um tatum just like you said, lob the bottles, slam the the freezer door on his face. Like she just went for it. And I like th- there's a real danger in some of these movies where it's like I feel like you said they're just sitting there and they're just like, okay, stab me now. Yeah. Or, I can't you know, do anything. I'm scared. Or they yeah, just plead yeah. for their lives and don't try. Yeah, and it's like the villains just sitting there like drawing it out, and it's like you could run, mm. like you could, you know, just kick something i don't know do something like you're not there's no scenario where you are just going to absolutely freeze now that said i do not want to test that theory no look i've i've never been in this situation so (laughs) yeah i've never this is all i don't know what happened (laughs) you running for your life how dare you i would have done better than you (laughs) um but the the death itself what are your thoughts on the doggy door in garage so I feel like this is one of those things because I know like as a writer, I've done it before where I've sat down, I've had this idea of something that needs to happen. And I'm like, oh, that'll be great. It's like, it's just a cool way for something to happen. And then when you go and sit down and write it and figure it out, it's like you get to the end of it and you're like, well, this just would not work. 
but you're at a point where you're sort of so sold on the idea that it's like, mm, it has to stay there though. <laughs> it's like, like I, it, it was, it was an interesting way I don't, for, for a movie that is mostly stabbing deaths. Let's be honest. It's weird to have almost like a saw trap in the middle of it. Yeah. It's like this, this mouse trap that's sort of like, I can't think of a universe like where you and the way she got stuck in the doggy door. Well, Cause well. like that like, door was huge. She was going to, she was not going to have any trouble getting through that door. It's like, were they trying to say like her boots were too big to get out? Like, cause the way Possibly. her arms were, I mean, like that, one was in, one was out. That leans like, into the trope though. Like, you know, cause yeah, she's the I mean, promiscuous woman and yeah, society like, is trying course, to punish her. That's her downfall. Her boots are her downfall. Of course. You know, I mean, that's um, where her no, lungs like, are. Yeah. Her lungs, sorry. Her lungs are her downfall. <laughs> No, I I don't know. I it was probably the one part of the movie where I was sort of thrown out a bit, but at the same time, it's so like the build up to it where she's like, "Oh, are you gonna kill me?" and he's like, "Uh huh," and she's like, "No, don't do it." Oh no! And it's like, I love this. I love that you are just like so sold on the idea that this is not happening that you're just like just rolling with it. Yeah, it's, it, honestly, it's probably something I would do. Where I'd sit there and be like, oh, this is a joke. Okay. Uh, run away. And then I get stabbed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, no one hears. The party goes on. And yep. I, I think th- this is the most kind of meta moment of the film. We have two things happening at once. Um, mm-hmm. Randy gets really upset with everyone, pauses Halloween, and says there are certain rules you have to follow in order to survive a horror film. It's because everyone's sort of going, oh, when are we going to see Jamie Lee's boobs? And it's like, you're not going to see them because. Yeah. And he says, uh, you don't know the rules. And he says, rule number one, never have sex. Rule number two, never drink or do drugs because it's a sin. Hayes Code is all making sense now. (laughs) And (laughs) the third rule, not so much on the Hayes Code for this one, is never say I'll be right back. Yeah. all the while he's saying never have sex because you have sex, you die. Yeah. Sydney is having sex with Billy because their relationship yeah. has finally progressed out of PG-13 and into <laughs> NC-17. Um, Good for them. And so there's this great foreshadowing while this is happening. He's saying, you know, we're watching a horror movie. He's talking about the, the things you shouldn't do in a horror movie or you'll die. And Sydney is doing one of those things. All the people yeah. are drinking and doing I assume doing drugs. And yeah. then Stu says, I'll be right back. Um, it sort of, I guess, is the foreshadowing of this is about to go through. It's kind of yeah, all of the action to climax to the end of this film. Yeah. I will say, like, you know, I walked into it knowing that was going to happen because that's the sequence that's actually in the trailer. Like, it's like that monologue over the top of, like, clips happening in the movie and then obviously got the movie voice guy um but it's like it's almost like if if you walked into this movie absolutely blind had no idea what it was about and you got to that point it's like that's when they're almost spelling it out and saying here's what's gonna be happening from here on out sort of thing um sorry continue (laughs) no it's fine uh what happens next we've got a bit of dewey and gail they're going to check out a car in the bushes dewey's Creepy, but I think it's more awkward than creepy, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. It, I don't know if that's the character. Like, uh, the more I watched it, the more I, I couldn't quite place 
Dewey. I couldn't tell whether he was like adorable in sort of like a awkward kind of way, or if it was like, oh, you're just weird. Yeah, like, I can't, I can't put you down. Um, but again, that might have been influenced by Scary Movie because they had a Dewey in that, and yeah. he was um, a different sort of character. Well, I guess what happens now is everyone. There's too many people in this house for the the murders yeah. to happen, so. Everyone very conveniently has reasons to leave. <laughs> Yay. Uh, oh, the plot. <laughs> yeah, the plot. Oh, God, we need to get people out of here. Let's, it's, oh. it's, it's literally, it's kind of like, let's go down to the old orchard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's okay. Like, it's, it's one of those parties where they got the sign that says, please leave my house by 9 p.m. Yeah. They all get out and Stu uh, is still there. Randy's still there. Billy and Sid yeah. are upstairs and you've got the camera guy, Galen. Dewey outside. Yeah. And Billy and Sid are having a kind of a confrontation and yep. then Ghostface comes up behind Billy. Yeah. And stabs him. That was that was one because at that point in time I was like, oh it's obviously uh Billy who's the killer. And then in that moment I was like Oh no! Hang on. <laughs> oh, Billy's Billy's just been stabbed. No. Oh no! Jesus Christ! Although that said, I will say the slashes look like like I don't know whether this was my angle that I was lying on watching it, but the slashes looked sideways, and then he was bleeding up and down. So I don't know whether that was intentional or not. But I had that moment where I was like, "Oh, but maybe we'll wait and see." The, the, the chase ensues. Um, yep. She gets out, he, he, he's about to kill Randy and, and hears her outside and then stops from killing Randy and goes out. And this, I, I thought this is a weird choice. The 30 second delay on the, the camera, yeah. on the newsstand, I yeah. guess, was a way to build tension. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's like, I mean, I guess it's the 90s. Things move a bit slower. Uh, but we, we end up with a bit of. Yeah, a few opportunities. He Ghostface kills the camera guy, who I'm mm-hmm. sure had a name, but I just didn't pick it up in like watching this at all. Yeah, no, I wouldn't know it. <laughs> uh, Sid gets out crawling through, similar to um, similar to Tatum crawling through a weird little hole. Yeah, in the back of the van. Yeah, uh, but Dwight and Gail come a, back. A cord hole? I don't know. And um. They see all this stuff going down. Gail gets into her car and attacks Randy with her cellular. Yeah. Hits him in the face with that. It is <laughs> a brick as well. Like, it's huge. Oh, yeah. No, that that was, like, my like one of my favourite bits of, like, 90s nostalgia was seeing the cellular with, like, the little flip out bit on it. And it's, but like, it's the like, rest of it's a brick. Yeah, it's, like, 10 inches thick. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> possibly not that big. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> They're compensating. It's fine. Uh, she speeds off in the van. Camera guy falls down onto the front of the car. Everyone that screams. That was horrible. That was, that got me. Like she windscreen wipers blood and then he comes down. You're like, oh God. Yeah. Like that, that was one of those moments where I was like, I was like oh, oh no, that's not great. The specifically, especially the, the blood on the windshield, like that was just an especially macabre touch that I was like, oh, 
I don't like that. But it is like it's getting gorier and less scary. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. It's like one of those things where it's like, oh, there's a body and there's blood. And there's a, but it was still like, uh, like you said, it's like we're on that spectrum now at this point. Yeah. And we get this great moment. Like, like it, she's running from everything. Ghostface is trying to get her. She ends up heading back to the house and Stu and Randy both kind of come up uh, and yeah. are like, Sid, help me. And Stu's accusing Randy. Randy's accusing Stu. Stu just keeps pointing. He's like, he's yeah. just going, like, no one can see me, but I'm pointing. He's just yeah. pointing at Randy <laughs> and yelling incoherently. And she locks yeah. them both out there. And Billy falls down the stairs. He's alive. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's injured, or is he? And she she has a gun, and she says she got Dewey's gun from him, and she gives it to Billy. And mm-hmm. he- Does he let- He lets Randy in. Yes. Yes. I think. Oh, it it moves so quickly at this point. Yeah, no, at this point in time, it's like it's like bam, bam, bam. Yeah, bam. we're we're just um, trying to get to that, like to to the reveal, I guess. Yeah, Billy shoots Randy, and mm-hmm. and Stu comes out, and we realize that Billy and Stu have been in cahoots this whole time, and like it's, I feel so the actual motive feels so inconsequential. Yeah, because they like, they're kind of like. Your mum was sleeping with my dad, ruined my family's life, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But actually, they're just psychos. Yeah, because th- that was my thing was when he revealed that. I was like, oh, okay. But then I was like, but then why did everyone else have to die? Like, what, what's, what's the motive for these other deaths along the way? Well, so you're right. It's like, they're just, they're just psychos. Like, yeah. Although, and, I'm, and, and, oh, sorry, you go. Oh, sorry, there you go. Uh, you, you go. Just apologize. They, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, no, but the um, like I, they say it in the that part there where it's like, well, that's the scariest thing of all is when they don't have a motive. And I like it is true where it's like you know they're just going after people willy nilly because when you think about them killing like the principal, where like what does that achieve aside from putting a murder in the middle of the film where there otherwise wouldn't have been? Yeah, it's like. And it, it to like me, it makes it. more sense for Billy than it does for Stu. So I feel yeah. like Billy, and you see it. So you know they're they're talking about. Oh, we watched a bunch of scary movies that helps us perform the perfect crime. They reveal that they killed her mother, mm-hmm. and then they they're setting up, and Billy stabs Stu to like make it look real, yeah. and Stu stabs Billy back. But which was really oh I yeah like, it, was, that was, it was pretty I, tough that to watch. Got my guts but, up. But he, like, Billy goes back and stabs Stu again, and it feels like that that Billy is the kind of psychopath and Stu's yeah. the, you know, he's playing the fool and he's, like, yeah. getting brought along for the ride. Yeah, exactly. Which is a bit, you know, uh, aside from the fact that obviously he's helped kill several people at this point, it's like it's kind of a little bit heartbreaking where it's like, he, oh, you... He shifts you so very much cold. into camp at this point. You know, I feel yeah. a little woozy. It's like, yeah, he, he drank the Kool-Aid real hard. Yeah. And they bring out her dad. Like, it, it's all like everything's coming to a head. But what manages to happen is that... Hold on, does Gail come in at this point? Um, yes. And she's like the because news reporter. Because they can't find the gun. Yeah. Well, no, is, is it earlier? Because they get the gun from her because she leaves the safety on 
Yes, yeah, yeah. It is. A, it's around like, this oh, point now. Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah. then he uh, uh, sort of knocks her out, and Sid uses that to kind of disappear, and then she rings yeah. them. Yeah, she's like, "I've called the police," and she starts taunting them. She turns it on the killers. Yeah. Um, at this point, Stu is just. I, and I assume it's like it's the delirium of like losing all this blood. He's just on the phone yeah. and he just keeps going back to it. Hello. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the part where he's like, "My mom's gonna be so mad at me." I was like, I mean, look, I'd say that too at that yeah. point. I'd be like, "No, fuck that. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, world. Um, sorry, world." <laughs> but we get this great. You know, Billy's trying to find her. He kind of yep. works out that she's hiding under the stairs and she fucking stabs him with an umbrella. Oh, love that. And love that moment. It keeps, like, it keeps going and Gail comes to and she manages to shoot him. Mm. And she's like, didn't, didn't leave the safety off this time, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Yay, Courtney Cox. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, and it, it, it like again so meta is just like working through the tropes so like he's not really dead mm. they shoot him again um and we kind of reach the end of this yeah because Matt oh no Matthew Lillard attacks after she stabs him completely missed it remember like yeah sorry yeah like he's having all this regret and then he has a new oh I'm back yeah I mean I mean that was yeah God, it just, it moves so quickly. In there is ending. so much that happens in that last bit. And at that point, I was probably, you know, two wines in. So, who knows, you know, what I was thinking. <laughs> who knows, but- there, like seven, <laughs> there were seven killers by that point. <laughs> there were 67 killers. They were all dressed differently. It was a party. Um, no, there's so much, like, the way this, like, it's like an avalanche of stuff happening towards the end of this film. And I will say that's probably, like, one of its strengths is how quickly it gets to... Because I remember when I was watching it, it's like they were going to the party and it, we're at the halfway mark in the film. And I was like, how is it? Like, how has this got that much left to go through? Like, at this point, if yeah. we're already going to the party, because once they go into the party, you know, it's like, okay, we're wrapping up. Um, and I had this moment where I was like, oh, how much has got to happen at this point? And obviously a lot, <laughs> as I came to learn. But it was, it was just so well paced. I just looked at zoomed through it. I just looked at my notes. She electrocutes Stu with the TV. There we go. That was, I mean, that was a choice. That was a choice. I thought that was really good. Um, like ridiculous. I don't think that that would work, but it was like yeah. a nice. I'd be curious to look at the the electronic layout of a, a what is it a, a rear projection telly. TV or whatever. It yeah, is. like what, what's what. Where's the electronics and how much electrocution can you really get? But I mean, look, it's it's a fun moment. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that happens. Then Billy attacks again. Then Gail shoots him, and then Sid shoots him a second time because of the trope yeah. of the killer can't die. Um, yeah. It it all gets us to the ambulance arrives. Like lots of people are okay. So yeah. her dad's fine. Sid's fine. Gail's fine. Dewey's yeah. still alive, and Randy yeah. survives as well. Yeah. And so we've kind of, while it's been working to all these tropes, it's managed to break a few of them Yeah, along the way. Um, And, you know, if Randy had died when he was meant to die, he would have died in the right order. Yeah, correct. But because because of, like, 
him surviving, I guess. We break these rules and we yeah. get this great ending, which I think is so ridiculous that Gail's doing the live report about it. Yeah. Can, yeah. <laughs> can you imagine being like, I've just been through a traumatic experience. I've killed someone. Yeah. <laughs> Time to report. Give me a microphone. I need a microphone. I need a camera. Oh, my camera guy's dead. That's fine. Yeah, she just kind of sets it up herself. <laughs> She's fine. She I mean, uh, like, yeah, like that's the other thing. Her guy, friend is dead. Like this guy that she worked with. Yeah. And this she's guy just that like, she worked with, it's, just, it's, it's like the truck's covered in blood, but you know what? I'll just take the camera from his like cold, dead hands and set this up myself. It can't be that hard. Yeah. And that gets us to the end of the movie. Jesus. I know. Goes quickly. Uh, it's, yeah, it's not. Well, I, 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 I'm so intrigued as, uh, just because it was your first time watching it. Like, mm-hmm. is this a good movie? Does it, like, am I blinded by nostalgia? Um, okay, what do I think of this movie? I enjoyed it. I thought, like, so, as, like, not the biggest horror buff. And so, for me, watching a horror movie alone, especially at night, is kind of a big deal. <laughs> so, when it's like I was speaking to some friends and I was like, oh, I'm going to be watching Scream. And some people were like, oh, but that's practically a comedy. And after watching it, I'm like, I don't think it is. Like, it's like it's it's self-aware. It obviously knows what it's doing. It's got some rules it's got to follow. Um, but it's not, like, it still takes itself It's still seriously. a scary movie. Like, Yeah, it still has genuinely scary moments. And it does them well, too. And I think that's a testament to both, like, the actors like again, taking it back to Drew Barrymore at the start, just an amazing performance. Um, but all the way through to like the end, it was just like there was there was like like I said before, there was one or two moments where I sort of turned a bit cockeyed and went like, mm, we'll let that one slide. But I think that's a testament to the story because it didn't drag me out of it either. It's like there's a there's a line that you can take where it's like um uh it's like the rule of cool. It's like are you going to go with what's cool? Are you going to go with what makes sense? And most of the time it's like, you're going to sort of find a nice balance in between. But if you're going to go too far over into the rule of cool, where it's like, this doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's kind of cool. It's like, you need to make sure you've sold everyone else on everything leading up to it. Yeah. And so it's, it, you know, it had a few of those moments, but I think they were, earned, if that makes sense. That makes sense. And also you now have four more of these movies to watch. My goodness, my my stand <laughs> suggestions for the rest of like this year is just going to be like Scream, Final Destination, like like. Uh, oh I my god, seen... Final Destination is something we have. You watched Final? Like there are so many Final Destinations, but like the first one, I remember watching that, and I reckon I was far too young. I think I was twelve, and mm-hmm. I was terrified. Oh, it's so me and horror films when I was much younger and by much younger, I mean like seven weeks ago, um, I was terrified of scary movies because my imagination is just that little bit too good. And that sounds like I'm blowing wind up my own skirt. And I am um, where I can't stop thinking about it. And I think I mentioned it like a good horror movie for me has a psychological element. I want it to stick with me. I want to be a little bit scared, but unfortunately, I'm not good at being scared. And especially now I live alone, it's like being scared is a choice now. <laughs> it's like, I, you know, if I'm if I'm indoors, everything's locked. It's like I'm still going to sit there, hear something creak and go, well, someone is obviously in my house and tonight I'm dying. Um, 
But no, the list of horror movies that I've seen, I can probably like count on one hand. Like it's It, It Chapter 2, Hereditary, and Midsummer. And there's probably like, oh, we, I studied horror in high school as well. So we did like Alien and um, Shaun of the Dead. Um, I mean, both great films. All great films. Like, you I've, you I may have I've... just heard Stella come in as well. Oh, hi, Stella. <laughs> she came in, she's like, ah, nah, 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 nah. A, little, a, little, a little podcast dog. Yes. So, I mean, we've reached the end of the film. I, yep. I'm interested to know, what is the campus line or moment for you? I feel like the campus moment is um, oh, Rose McGowan's entire death sequence. Because, like, right from the start when she's like, oh, you're going to kill me, all the way to her actual death. Because it is ridiculous, a little bit funny in, like, a really macabre sort of way. It's like, oh, no, she's going to die and she doesn't know it. Um, And I don't know, I just really empathise with someone who's just, like, rolling with it and then she gets stabbed and she's like, oh, this is happening. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Um, I'd go with that moment. Brilliant. And, and scariest moment? Scariest moment. I think the phone call at the start, truthfully, is so unsettling because it's like up until it gets a bit more complicated with the death, which is still scary, don't get me wrong. But the idea of a phone call with someone on the line that you can't see and you don't know where they are, it's, it's scary in a way. That is so mundane. Where, where do you that, think? Sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh, wait, wait. Or the, the, there's a jump scare halfway through the movie and it's just the transition to like the school bus driving. That made me jump <laughs> out of my skin because it was left. Yeah, it actually it does. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Can you hear Stella <laughs> drinking in the background? A little bit. <laughs> just like, blah, 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 blah. Oh, bad, bad, bad. Uh, where, Good for you, Stella. Keep your fluids up. Yes. Um, where where do you think this film lands on the camp scary scale? Um, pre- let's. I'm going to go with about a five. So predominantly scary, uh, and more though more than incidentally camp. I think it is genuinely like a scary movie. Like it, uh, people were telling me that it was going to be like incredibly camp, and I think it just sits like more on the scary side of things because I do think it's it's self-aware and it knows it's doing that, mm. but it's still like, no, we still want this to actually be scary. Yeah, all it's of, not, all of that campiness yeah. is intentional, but it doesn't yeah. mean it's not a scary movie. No, and if anything, I think having a film where you've got those, like, things are only as scary as they are when things are good, if that makes sense, like, you can only have those really scary moments really hit home if you also have those moments where it's like, oh, no, this is, is it has some funny moments, it has some, like, happy moments. Like, having a movie that is just scare after scare after scare can get a bit fatiguing and you can almost be, like, numb by the end of it where it's like, oh, someone just got beheaded. Okay, cool, next. Yeah. Um, well, whereas it, it, this, I think, strikes a good balance. Yeah, you, you, need, you need the relief for the next scare to actually deliver. You need to... If you're constantly on edge, the scares don't land. You need to be. Exactly. You need to forget that you're meant to be scared and yeah, and have it have it come back. Get comfortable. Have another sip of your, you know, your Pepsi or whatever. I've forgotten what they serve in uh, cinemas these days. Well, we um, be, we're not allowed to go to cinemas. It's sad. I know. There's been so many movies I haven't been able to see. 
thank God most of them have been like delayed debuggery, but I still, you know, I wanted to see Tenet. Can't. Well, thank you, Link, for joining me to talk all about Scream. Do you have anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, nothing tremendously exciting. You can find me on Twitter at Link underscore Law. I think I say some pretty funny things sometimes, though most of the time it's just me talking about my books. Um, or on Instagram. You do write and- books as well, like... Yeah, I write books. Yeah, oh, if it, you know, I have books. So if you're a publisher listening to this, I've you know, if you're into some young adult or children's fantasy or sci-fi, you know, hit me up. <laughs> Do they're really good? Uh, I've read some of it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, well, thank you again for joining me. For those of you at home, you can follow Camp Scary and Squee on Instagram and Twitter at Camp Scary Pod. If you have questions or suggestions, email campscarysquee at gmail.com and make sure to rate and review Camp Scary and Squee wherever you are listening to us because those ratings help people find us. Thank you for joining us. And remember, don't scream. They'll hear you. Uh Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie?